Coming up next, we've done one episode on Anna Karenina. We've done, I don't know, three episodes on East of Eden. We've done a couple episodes on... Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. Now we're doing our fifth episode on... Harry Potter. Welcome to the fucking nine. Nathan Albers in here. Brandon is saying nine. He's nine. We know in German. Nine. Nine. <laughs> and nobody got time for that. I'm introducing the bookening. Copy My name is Nathan Albertson, your humble and obedient host. Over there, we've got the, the scholar who's a baller of reading. It's Brandon Chastine. How you doing, Brandon? Oh, hi, Nathan. I'm I'm doing pretty well. I'm I'm I wish I was as cool as you are, though. Yeah, Brandon, everybody, everybody wishes that, but you know, it's not. It's not possible. I'm sorry. Well, I I still wish I was, though. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, uh, you're the scholar who's baller reading. That's pretty good. Yeah, I suppose. You know, why don't we introduce our friend, Pastor Jacob Menzel? Okay, I, I guess that we can do that if we want to. Hey, it's Pastor Jacob Menzel, the pastor who's a master of reading. Hello, Nathan. How are you? I also wish that I was as cool as you are. Jake, I'm sorry. I, I mean, I wish you guys were as cool as I am too, but only there can be only one. It's like Highlander. Oh, Nathan, your movie references are so cool and hip and modern. And I wish I could gain more weight and be like you. Yeah, I wish... I look more like you, even though I do have some weight. Yeah, Brandon, it's okay. Just keep eating donuts and stuff and working on your movie references. <laughs> and you can be like me. But I'll never be like you. Jake, it's okay. You're special in your own way. I guess. <laughs> wow. All right. Bravo. <laughs> theater of one. A theater of one. <laughs> now, our listeners will be surprised to know <laughs> that it, that was actually me, yeah, Nathan Alverson, doing, doing all three parts. I was playing the part, of course, of the scholar who's a baller of reading, Brandon Chasteen. Hey, hey, Nathan. <laughs> and, of I'm course, Albert. Master, master of Reading, Jacob Menzel. Hi. <laughs> so, I wish I was as cool as you. This is yeah. exactly how we talk, Nathan. Could <laughs> <Yep>. uh, <laughs> lay down some sweet blues tunes now. <laughs> I don't know what the point of that was, but it was fun. What's even more fun, though, is the part where we talk about Harry Potter, which yeah. we're about to do now for the fifth time. Last time we left people on... Have I actually introduced everything? Yeah, I'm Nathan Everson, yeah. humble and obedient host, Brandon Scholar Bob. Yeah. I was going to add, yes. that was like you were taking your own polyjuice potion. Yes. And we're trying to be us. Yes, it was. Yeah. It was a horrible... Part. It was a tie-in. You, you know, like Hermione in the bathroom. Right. So last time we left on a cliffhanger because we had begun to discuss the morality of Harry Potter, but we said we'd discuss it some more in this episode. So let's discuss the morality of Harry Potter. Is this book a moral book? Is it an immoral book? Is it an amoral book? Should we be concerned? Does it make a difference? What do you think, guys? What's, let's start here. What is good about Harry Potter? What is good about yes. Harry Potter? Are morally good. What is morally good about okay. Harry Potter? We've already discussed. People can go back to our last episode and hear us talk about pros and 
Tom. I, know, I was just pros P-R-O-S-E. So what's morally good about Harry Potter? Yes. I would we talked briefly about this before we started taping this podcast. Mm-hmm. So I think we came up with three categories where it's strong, morally mm-hmm. strong. Friendship, friendship, mm-hmm. courage, yep, and loyalty. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'll say one of the scenes that consistently makes me cry in the movies is the end of the fourth movie, The Goblet of Fire, where Harry, they're all saying, well, how are we going to stand up against Voldemort? Mm -hmm. And Harry says, we have one thing that he doesn't, each other, Mm -hmm. right? It's a great scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, the music's playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those moments are just all throughout the books and the movies. Those little moments where it's... How are we going to do this or whatever? And then you do it because you have friends. You have family. Harry thinks he's always going to do something alone and Ron and Hermione are never going to let him get away with it. Yeah, they're going to, it's you fool, we're going to go with you, right? Mm -hmm. It's like Peregrine and Mariotic. Mm -hmm. Or Sam in the the end of the, I guess it's the movie. I don't know if he actually says it in the book. Or... Frodo says, I'm going to go and destroy the ring by myself. And Sam says, I know I'm, I'm going with you. Right? <laughs> it's that sort of mentality, that, yeah. that yeah. strong friendship, that bond, and that you can't do things on your own that are hard. You actually mm-hmm. need others. And obviously, from a Christian standpoint, this is true. We can't do things on our own. We need the body. We need one another. We need the encouragement and strength that only brothers and sisters can actually provide. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, and it's really great on that level. It's not... It may, be, may not be Sam and Frodo level great, but it's great. No, it's great. <laughs> and I think we'll be arguing later on that, I mean, it's maybe this just as obvious, mm-hmm. but where the book fails is where it doesn't resonate with what's actually true. Mm-hmm. Why that feels so good is because it resonates with actual truth. Mm-hmm. Just like you guys have taught me in my famous coming to terms with Star Wars yes. that The Last Jedi is bad mm-hmm. because it doesn't resonate with truth. Mm-hmm. And that was... That was really one of my low points of criticism. <laughs> so, Wow, Brandon. Thank you, guys. In a career as sparkling as yours, there really aren't any low points, but... Yeah, that was a low point. <laughs> uh, but anyways. People want to hear Brandon's lowest moment, go back and listen to Happy Christmas. Star Wars is over, I believe is the name yeah. of the episode. Somewhere in the 70s, maybe. But to kick us back here. Yes. So is the first book where they fight the trolls. Mm-hmm. Then at the end of that chapter, um, they what it, what's what's the expression there at the end that there are few things that can bond you together as mm-hmm. friends like fighting a troll or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. something like that. Great things like that throughout the book that show us how friendship is key to this. And also, I think she has a very well drawn out, clear and accurate view on friendship. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's one of the strengths of the book. Yes, I agree. Can I be the Lord Voldemort more, as they call him in French? You've or been in the play gearing of, up for it over this there. Conversation. Like much... well, I've been trying to decide whether I want to, because I don't want to stomp all over what you guys are saying. I think it's basically correct. I think it is what's beautiful about the books. I think the central relationship between our trio is pretty great and emotionally you know, moving and all that sort of thing. And I don't have a problem with it. I also think it's the same thing that was good in Guardians of the Galaxy. I also think it's the same thing that's good in lots of things. I think it's a virtue that our age tends to appreciate maybe more than almost any other virtue. And that doesn't mean that it's a bad virtue. It does mean that it's a fairly, I don't know how many points I want to award so Rawling for, for including this virtue. You're saying in our Facebook culture, our culture has a very shallow view of friendship. Is that what you're saying? No, not really. That no. would be a good argument against what I'm saying, probably. He's I saying know. in our Facebook culture, we actually have a really good view of friendship. Oh, I see. I'm saying in our Facebook culture, I'm not saying anything about our Facebook culture. <laughs> well, no, I'm adding that in. <laughs> I'm going to leave that one out until... Because we had, we do have a very shallow view of friendship, and things like this help us, because they're completely antithetical to what we actually think friendship is, mm. and the sort of relationships we have in life. But the... Okay, 
the Marvel movies have this group of friends. The Guardians of the Galaxy has this group of friends. Harry Potter has a group of friends. The Lord of the Rings movies and books have groups of friends. Yes, the Lord of the Rings. I would say that the friendships in the Marvel movies don't come close to the sort of deep friendships you see in Harry Potter by the end of the seventh book. Okay, well, let me try. Let me try. I this. don't know if you guys agree with that, but in the in what? In the Marvel universe, I don't think you have the sort of long-term... And part of it's because you're not just following three characters. Right. So you don't get the depth of friendship you have in the Harry Potter universe. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to be grumpy about it. I guess I'm just saying it's not a virtue that anyone's going to argue with. And it didn't take any courage or moral gravity for Rowling to put it in there. And... I'm not going to say that I'm not impressed by it, but I guess I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate and saying, well, who doesn't like friendship? I mean, who's, you know, if you, if you, if, if, if some high school girl reads Lord of the Rings, she will come up against things that strike her as weird or wrong, or she'll, she'll have some moral stuff that she has to wrestle with. If she reads Harry Potter, she'll be like, friendship's great. And there's, so what? So you're saying there's nothing really. Bad. I'm saying the currency that Rowling is spending morally is a little cheaper than your Lord of the Rings or even even when Rawlings at her best, she's still not just nailing it. Give us an example of Rawling at her best and then something from the Lord of the Rings that would Well, okay, Rawling at her best, let's just say what's the best example of Ron and Harry's friendship and how deep and strong it is? Okay. I mean what what is it? What's the moment? I'm I'm not sure off the top of my head. Yeah, me neither. Maybe when There's Ron comes back and destroys moments. the Horcrux. Well, okay, yeah, and there are. And she does those really well. And it reminds you of those relationships that you had in high school that, you know, where you just thought you were going to be friends forever and then inevitably you weren't. Um, and you went and destroyed a great evil together. Right, and you went and destroyed a great evil together. <laughs> yeah, and it reminds me exactly the, of that. Right, when you defeated the Dark Lord. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's nothing equivalent to the loyalty of Samwise, of him carrying Frodo up that mountain, of them there together at the end of all things as the lava pools around them except Um, people don't leave harry at the end they fight in hogwarts right and it's nice actually the best example the best the character that moves me the most in that story is neville longbottom okay everything about him dumbledore's army the fact that he's going to be loyal the fact that he's not by nature courageous but he's going to be have courage anyway because of his loyalty yeah if you want to argue that there's a moving emotional moral arc in the story, I would say it's Neville's as much as anything. Ron and Hermione and Harry just feel like friends, like the kinds of friends I had in high school. I don't know. So you're saying the friends you had in high school were friends that you could count on to follow you into battle against the Dark Lord? Yeah, some of them were. Maybe, here, okay, here's, here, maybe this is my problem. I, <laughs> if I'm allowed to say something good about myself on this podcast and not be excruciatingly self-deprecating i'm actually pretty good at making friends and making and going deep with people Mm -hmm. which means that maybe i don't value it like if someone has like one best friend in their whole life maybe harry potter means a whole a great deal to them i actually have more than one best friend and i've always just been that way that's fair enough from the viewpoint of rawling you have to imagine she's an introvert right and that friendship to her is very different than it would be to an extroverted person a a difficult and rare thing right yeah so i and that resonates with a lot of people resonates with me and it resonates with me i love stories about friends yeah what am i even arguing and why you're you're you are arguing that i'm arguing big deal that friendship is one of the key things you're arguing that's this thing that everybody does it's what stephen king does with it 
Sure. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's it's a perfect what, example. But I would say that maybe it's not something unique to her, but she is... She's good at it. She's good at it, and she's giving us something that at least resonates as truth and helps add some moral weight to her story. Okay. Right? Because I would argue that if anything is good about it, mm-hmm. because it's kind of a perverse story. Sure, yes. It has Agreed. to do with the fact that those kids have that friendship they have in the movies, not the books. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> You're, we're talking about the movie right now. Yes. I think. Yes. And Just so that's very clear. And you're yes, the, you want to be very clear about that. <laughs> or Stand By Me. Any of yeah. the classic Stephen King books mm-hmm. are even what's strong about Stranger Things. The mm-hmm. value of Stranger Things is the relationship with those kids. Yeah, they're going to stick yeah. together. And you, you have every story does it the same. Somebody has something that happens where they're going to go off and you don't think they're going to stick with them. And then they mm-hmm. come back and they save the day. Ron has it happen. Um, what's her name? Eleven has it happen and Stranger Things spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen that. But yeah, it's cliched, but it works because of the cliche. We are all, it, it, it resonates like a tone that we're used to in music, right? Yes. And it's a wonderful melody. And I mean, you know, the ending of Casa... The, resonates the word of the day for me. <laughs> yeah, it resonates like the... I have been trying to wean us off of resonate for a while. It's a word that's wildly overused on the booking in well, general, but by me among others. But... Not me. <laughs> <laughs> or resonant. Emotionally resonant. But it's like, what other word do you use? You there? don't. And apparently yeah. the resonance is picking up with me and I'm starting to resonate at the same tone. Mm-hmm. We're all resonating on the word resonance. So I'm using what resonance. Resonance. I think any halfway clever pagan writer or filmmaker is going to perceive the value of friendship and going to do it in a way that, like, I don't know. It just doesn't take guts to write about friendship. I guess that's all I'm saying. I love stories no, about friendship. No, but it takes guts to be a friend. Yes, and that's what st- still makes it moving to write about it. Yeah, that's why it's at the back. It's at the heart of every war movie. Mm-hmm. Is Band of Brothers. Right. Yeah, these guys are going to stick together no matter what. It's what makes Saving Private Ryan powerful. Mm-hmm. Right, no matter what happens, you are going to stick with these men because you have a bond with them. You're loyal to them. It's going to hurt when they die. Mm-hmm. But that's it's why getting... I love the ending of Casablanca, the, the Louis. I think this is the beginning yeah. of a beautiful friendship. That's actually the emotional moment, not. Yeah, sending Ilza away. But there's nothing unique about that, right? right? And yeah. it's, but it's still powerful, and I, that's the only. That's what I. Yeah. So there's nothing unique about the friendship in Harry Potter, and yet she gives it to us in a way that is moving. Mm-hmm. And so when Harry actually does at the end decide to die, there's weight there because Hagrid's there watching mm-hmm. him die, and he's like, "No, don't do it, Harry." Right? There's power and weight to that. Although I will say that the fact that Harry was able to get away at that moment without Ron and Hermione finding him, sticking to him, following him out mm-hmm. there was one of the least. It made the least amount of sense of anything. After seven books worth of them always they showing always up, they always are going to show up. They're always. They're never mm-hmm. going to. Voldemort sent out the call. Well, Harry's got to come, or I'm going to kill everybody. And they have to know Harry's going to go. Yeah. Or they're going to have to be concerned Harry's going to go. And they have to have already resolved no way he goes without us. Because that's just what they do. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she just sort of skated right over that and didn't even make make an excuse for them to have to be somewhere else Mm -hmm. was just a total failure. Yeah. Well, that's where we're kind of foreshadowing some of the weaknesses. I think when push comes to shove, she's not willing to commit to her morals if it doesn't serve the plot, mm-hmm. right? And that's one of the biggest examples. We see it all over the place with Dumbledore, but we're not there yet, right? So well, I think we're getting awfully close because I think actually, as we talk about it, what I'm realizing is, of course, I like the friendship. Of course, it's moving. Of course, I agree with you guys, essentially. But the reason I even wanted to push against it is because I think it's tied to some of the larger 
issues in that she's got her one virtue, maybe her handful of virtues, but the way that she emphasizes those virtues feeds into what's actually wrong and what's not virtuous about yeah. the stories. Um, and it happens with all of her, the virtues we've seen. So courage, mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely one of the major themes of the book. You have courage, but then um, you begin to see that the courage is all manipulated yes. behind the scenes by a guy you don't really know what you're supposed to think of in the end mm-hmm. because he's kind of twisting things in a weird way. Dumbledore. Right. Right. He's the puppet master. And so all the courage that Harry had apparently was planned from infancy. Yeah. So he was a sheep to be led to the slaughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, what did we say? We said courage, friendship, and what loyalty. was the third Loyalty, one? which is hand in hand with both of those. Yeah, yeah. we talked about loyalty with Neville. Right. Which it was is, his strength. Which is great. Loyalty is what happens when friendship requires courage. Mm-hmm. Dobby. Yes. The most moving part of any book and the most annoying character. Um, yeah. That was the most moving part. But it's what made his death matter was because he was willing to be, when friendship required him to be loyal, mm-hmm. he was loyal and he died. Mm-hmm. So, And that's what she was trying to do with Harry as well. When Harry's friendship required him to be loyal, he was loyal mm-hmm. and he dies. Right. But doesn't die. Right. Because she couldn't stand that. Yeah. Because she could not stand that. Right. Well, I think, yeah. She lacks, if, if I have one criticism of Rowling, and I do, it's that she lacks the courage to place anything above those handful of things that she perceives to be virtues. I mean, in other words, there's no real situation in the stories where someone who's Harry's friend is also wrong. I mean, this is a common criticism that people make of the books. I think it's probably the number one criticism that people make of the books is that besides the occultic elements that we dealt with over the course of a couple episodes, the most common complaint I've heard Christians make about these stories is everyone who likes Harry is good. Everyone who hates Harry or is, you know, mean to Harry or oppressive to Harry is bad. And Harry's intuitions are always right and good. Mm-hmm. With the exception Even when of they're Snape. wrong. With the exception of Snape. But that's only because Dumbledore is a lying... Yes. Coward. Coward. <laughs> Thank you. Insecure well, father figure. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the famous... It's interesting to see how the morality of Voldemort actually ends up being Rowling's morality. That whole... <clears throat> there is no good or evil. There's only there's only power in those two weak to see. Mm-hmm. And it's real. It really is sort of. I mean, you really can almost substitute. There is no good or evil. There's only Harry. Mm-hmm. There is no good or evil. There's only the friendship of these three people that mm-hmm. we care about. There's no good and evil. There's only courage. Yeah. Right. And courage to break the rules. Courage to defy authority, mm-hmm. courage to get your godfather killed because you're a fool. Right. Well, it's actually all the things that Brandon mentioned, particularly the state like It and Stand By Me and stuff, they all have a similar problem, which is that the books always, in a way that feels unfair and untrue to life, they, all these stories stack the deck in favor of our friends and against the people like Malfoy. You know, it turns out there aren't a lot of straight bullies in the world, but there always are in Stephen King stories and there always are in J.K. Rowling stories because that gives us a foil. And I realize, I know, I know, Malfoy's more complicated, folks. But you get my point. There's a bunch of characters in these stories. Umbridge yeah. is another example of a character who just feels like the book hates her and stacks the deck against her and she's not a three-dimensional character, nor is she even a good two-dimensional character. She's just there to oppress Harry. She's a bad stand-in for a church lady. Right. 
And that's really how Snape, as you guys have pointed out, that's really how Snape feels in the first few books before she kind of clues into, oh, I got to write this for Alan Rickman and for an eventual redemption. He just feels like this petty guy that, you know, they're going to lock up and do all this stuff. He's like a Home Alone villain or something like that who's mm-hmm. skulking around. And that's how all the people that are against Harry. They're and never he's a... really a clown by the end of book three. Yeah. He's yeah. just a clown. He's a jester. And that's not the, that's the god of the universe being unfair. And I hate it when that happens in a story where it feels like somebody you can actually stack the deck. I think it's okay to say this person's bad, this person's good. I'm going to pile the bad. But you, what you can't do is have the audience catch you doing it. Yep. Because it feels cheap and unfair, and it feels nasty. In fact, when you're just you, can, there's nothing that will make me feel more sorry for a fictional character than if I feel like this fictional character was just set up to be a straw man so that we could take out all our aggression against the bullies of our own life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, it really shows her, well, she has a weakness with imagining the morality, but also then showing it through her characters, mm-hmm. because I'm thinking here of how unfortunate this is, because J.R. Tolkien did it so wonderfully. You think of Sam, mm-hmm. or you think of yeah. Gollum, right. how complicated both of those characters are. She has nothing like that in right. any of the characters, really. Because mm-hmm. Sam, at one point, he could both be good and bad. We all have that within us, and J.R. Tolkien knows that. But what drives Sam forward is something bigger than himself. The Shire. Mm-hmm. Rosie. He wants to get home because he's protecting something. Mm-hmm. And that's what J.R. Tolkien does. His, his, his evil is always bigger than... What his evil is attacking is always bigger than the heroes. Mm-hmm. Right, Gondor is bigger than Aragorn. The Shire is bigger than the Hobbits, and they're all protecting something more than themselves. She tries to do that with love and Hogwarts, but it doesn't really congeal. Really, all it comes down to is Harry versus Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And so that's something more that she could have had, which is what drives a morality. Right. Isn't there? And you don't get morality. All you get is utilitarianism if there's not something more that you're trying to fight for. Yeah, and as long as your utility, as, as long as you are, your utilitarianism serves the right end, it really doesn't matter what you do up to an, up to or Dumbledore suiciding and allowing a hero to kill him. Up to everything Dumbledore does, really. I mean, Remaining he's... silent for a whole year and causing this kid who's already feeling insecure about the death of Cedric and terrified. I mean, when you look at Dumbledore and the father figures that Rowling gives... To Harry, it's sort of like your devil, your devil's advocate on our Father's Day episode of Sounds. Dumb reference to drop on the booketing, but really, who's a father? What's a father? Yeah. Santa Claus? Well, she doesn't believe in Santa Claus, though, because Santa Claus ends up being this crafty... Well, that's the point, is Harry's never actually allowed to have a father, ever. Yeah. She's good at mothers. Mrs. Weasley... He wants Dumbledore to be a father, but Dumbledore is... Dumbledore's fathering tactic is to manipulate manipulate Harry to set Harry up to take risks and and I mean if you're going to spin it as well as possible Dumbledore is a hands-off dad who's just sort of cultivating Harry's ability to think for himself Montessori style mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, yeah, because yeah, that always turns out real well. Right. But I, I mean, you know, Harry's got Sirius. Nope, we're going to take Sirius away. Mm-hmm. Harry's got Lupin. No, we're going to take Lupin away. Whoever I think the Harry reason has, Lupin's one of my favorites is because Lupin actually seems like the one. I don't know, remember why exactly, but I just remember thinking Lupin feels like the one I'd want for my real dad. I don't know. Yeah, he's, he's just. He. Well, he's. Yeah, go ahead. I think he's the best father. Yeah. For one thing, he presents as broken. Arthur, which makes Arthur it, Weasley is a pretty good dad, and he's yeah, a little think, in in the movies. I think a little cheapened, slightly. I mean, he's still okay in the movies. Right. 
But in his weakness, obviously, is he doesn't discipline. So Fred and George can become who they are. But discipline is what I miss in all these books. And I think I'm not, I don't know, the old misogynist Nathan again, but I think it's what Rowling just doesn't even have a conception of. Yeah. I That's mean, the, I mean, honestly, is, there's nothing. The reason book five is so terrible is it's a, it's a perfect setup for, for Harry to finally learn a lesson and to be disciplined by a father. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like that whole book, Harry's just, He's just He's being a brat. He he's just, being a brat. He's asking he's for it. The audience, the reader, wants Harry to get disciplined actually in our heart of hearts. Even like it's it's almost like real discipline, even though it would be Harry, awkward, even though it would Harry be painful. Ref- he, Harry, we actually want it. Harry refuses to listen to Dumbledore, the greatest wizard alive, and the headmaster. And he's gonna do his own thing. And so far, Harry doing his own thing has turned out really well. And now Harry ter- doing his own thing and trusting his gut has resulted in death and destruction and death of the people that he cares most about. And he's angry with Dumbledore and Dumbledore sits there and takes his abuse and apologizes to Harry because it wasn't as though Harry should have listened to, I don't know, the greatest wizard to, uh, to ever live. And the only person that Voldemort would ever fear and his headmaster, who's like 60 years, his senior, no Dumbledore should have been more forthcoming and the moment that i compare it to in my head with in lord of the rings is the dumb moment where pippin throws the stone down the well or whatever in the movie knocks the whole skeleton down and gandalf says fool of a took next time throw yourself which as a kid really hurt my feelings actually like i really felt for pippin because i could put myself in that position and like i don't want some authority figure snapping at me and telling me they'd rather i be dead than make this mistake again but that little moment that Tolkien was genius enough to provide, actually, and, and other moments like it, give Gandalf this real fatherly weight mm-hmm. that's just like, which notably missing from Dumbledore. Which the movies are smart enough to try and have some of. So uh, the two examples I can think of is one, they get rid of that scene. They kill that scene. In order of, so they're just sitting there quietly together. Mm-hmm. But Harry looks contrite. Mm-hmm. If you go and you watch that scene, Harry actually looks sad of what's happened. And um, you don't get much more than that. Yeah. Uh, so they cut that scene down, but Dumbledore looks like Dumbledore. And then the other one is in the Goblet of Fire where he puts his name in, or somebody puts his name in. When Dumbledore first finds out, he actually runs at Harry, grabs his shoulders and shakes him and says, did you put your name in that goblet? Mm-hmm. You tell me now, did you put your name? And so there's that sort of sense of fatherly discipline there mm-hmm. that the movies try to establish with Dumbledore that the books don't. As a little bit, again, I'm going to probably keep comparing him to Gandalf. When Gandalf says, what do you take me for? A conjurer of cheap tricks. Yeah. Rowling actually takes her father figure for a conjurer of cheap tricks. At the end of the day, Dumbledore's whole deal is that he is the best conjurer of cheap tricks. Whereas Gandalf like has this authority and is scary, even to Bilbo, even to good guys. And it's how a real dad is. A real dad that disciplines you yeah. is actually someone that you are a little scared of and Dumbledore the fact that Dumbledore is not able to be scary to Harry in a a way just in a discipline-y fathery kind of a way is a real failure of those books I mean you might say okay that's not the books she's writing but I'm saying yes it is she's writing a coming-of-age story and if our hero never has to actually learn a lesson and repent of something 
it's not following the formula. It's not, I mean, what does Harry learn? How does he actually grow? He starts out being kind of nice and cool and self-sacrificial and he ends by being, and he ends by being those exact things. And Rowling would say, I mean, I've, I read an interview where she, she said, I thought about killing him and making him stay dead. But I said, you know, Harry, no, Harry has to bear the burden of rebuilding society. That's not <laughs> how it comes across in the books. No way. Yeah. What it comes across That's garbage. is- she lets him off the hook. She doesn't make him make an ultimate sacrifice or learn much of anything besides just be yourself and everything will and you're awesome. kind of work out because you're awesome, which is a terrible message for kids to read. I mean, I think if I had kids, I might be more concerned about that aspect of it than the occultism, or at least they'd be neck and neck because mm-hmm. I just think it's a, it's a terrible message. Sacrifice doesn't really have consequences. Right. Yeah. And yeah, so Dumbledore's sacrifice doesn't really have consequences. And also, to go back to the father figure, I, mm-hmm. it would be one thing if she wasn't aware of this, but it also seems that she was aware of what she was doing with Dumbledore simply because of what she does with his backstory yes. in book seven, where he had this troubled relationship to his brother, and actually it ends up that his grouchy brother kind of was more moral than him because of the relationship with the sister. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you're suppo- and so in Dumbledore's insecurity comes from the fact that he doesn't know if he should even have power, mm-hmm. right? And so... well. Which, which is her trying to make him the Gandalf figure who doesn't want to touch the ring. Right, right. But Gandalf never wants to touch the ring because Gandalf knows he's so powerful what would happen if mm. he were to do it and it were to corrupt him. Dumbledore is just insecure and doesn't want to be a father. Right. Yeah, well, Dumbledore's responsible for the death of his sister. Mm-hmm. He spent a good portion of his life in pursuit of immortality with... Flamel. Well, with Flamel, with Grindelwald. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the thing is, like, if she was intentionally, smartly playing with moral ambiguities, it's it's my same problem with Voldemort that I was kind of touching on last time. If she's being intentional about not quite giving us a supervillain, but also not quite giving us, if it felt to me like there was this grand design where she's actually going to teach kids, you know, well, your father's not perfect, he's broken, but it doesn't feel like she really realizes what she's playing with or or is responsible for it. She's just kind of trying to tell a story where things happen. And I mean, if the point was Dumbledore, it turns out your dad is just as broken and messed up as you are. I could see somebody potentially writing that story, but she doesn't write that story in a responsible way. What she does is she kind of half writes that story and half writes a Gandalf is awesome story (sighs) and splits the difference in a way that just doesn't quite come out cleanly. Yeah, it's because she doesn't give us the story beats that would make it that. Right. So it ends up, like you said, he's both the grand puppet master, but then also he manipulates this poor emo kid who loves him and gave up being a Death Eater for him and Lily to kill him. Mm -hmm. So, which is awful. Yeah, and that's where, to me, it just feels like Rowling doesn't really care about the morality or have a strong moral sense. She just has a plot that she wants to... And it, it suits well, her plot yeah. for Dumbledore to die and be killed by Snape. It's a better surprise if Snape is the one that does it. And so she's willing to just kind of brush all that stuff You're aside. You're not supposed to think about the fact that Dumbledore, uh, Snape actually says the unforgivable curse mm-hmm. and kills Dumbledore. And Dumbledore told him to do it. And for the record, if you guys ever re- have a really, really great plan that involves me killing one of you guys, yeah. I'm not going to do it. What? You're not going to do what it? What if I'm going to die anyway? If you're going to die anyway. What if the goal is to protect some... Child of a Death Eater from becoming more Death Eatery. Yeah. I'm going to die anyway. No, so Jake, you know, let's let's figure out a new plan. Your plan sucks. Yeah, I mean, imagine the the imagine the highlight of the Lord of the Rings is Gandalf has to for some reason put on the One Ring and then be pushed into the lava. Right. So he tricks Frodo into putting it on him and then pushing him. Right. 
so that Frodo can live with that trauma forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'd be great. Yeah. Uh, no, just a couple of months he'll before be you yeah. die. I mean. Yeah, he'll die anyways when he gets killed by some snake. Yeah. Right. That'd be pretty bad. But that's what she does with Dumbledore. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, but God holds the keys to life and death, and I'm just not going to kill you guys, even if you have a really good plan, so. Yes, but what if I have a wand, and I need you to, and only the person who kills me can wield it, and I need somebody I trust to be able to wield it, otherwise everybody's going to die. Then everyone will die. Man, you mean that morality is not utilitarian? It doesn't serve. We can't twist it to serve purposes we think are actually better than the morals. Uh, no, oh. two wrongs actually don't make a right. Oh, except for in the magical universe of J.K. Rowling, yeah. the fifth science is that two wrongs make a right. It's the ninth law of thermodynamics. So this is the sort of universe where. From the very first book, one of the respected teachers is twisting the rules of Quidditch so mm-hmm. that she can get an underage wizard and then buy him a broom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. <laughs> and Dumbledore is just going to be like, uh, and by the way, your team gets more points because I think you're cool. Because <laughs> I was a Gryffindor too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the whole thing is just bogusly, nakedly pro-Harry. I mean, I, I would be so angry if I was some random Hufflepuff just watching Harry and his friends get away with everything. I mean, if you want to understand the morality of these books and how hateful it is, just imagine yourself as a random Hufflepuff. bystander having to put up with the chosen one and the headmaster letting him get away with everything that he wants to do, crashing cars, locking up teachers. Yeah, you should imagine yourself as a Hufflepuff. But shout out to our our mutual Hufflepuff friend if he's listening. We've got a mutual Hufflepuff friend. Um, My wife is a Hufflepuff. Your wife's a Hufflepuff. Interesting. Yeah. A Hufflepuff huh. and a Ravenclaw. Yeah. What's that like? It's great. It's great. Okay. Yeah. Do we know what your wife is, Jake? No. I'll ask her to take the test. Well, to be fair, my wife has not officially taken the real test. Oh. So she'll need to take the real test. She's not officially taken the real <laughs> test. She's not taking the Pottermore one. She's taking yeah. a different one. She took, that, she took the one I found. All right. So the morality. Okay. What have we said so far? Sum it up for us, Jake. She's pretty good on friendship. Nathan says lots of people are good on friendship, but she's pretty good on friendship and on loyalty. And we haven't really talked about courage so much because we ended up getting into uh, the moral ambiguities, the gray spaces where she's just sort of ultimately a moral relativist. Well, here's the reason why Team Voldemort is bad, Team Harry is good. And those are the lines. The reason I'm so, the reason I want to not quite give friendship to her, I admit it, she's great. But let me just say, it's because I've seen pieces by cheap grace Christians, by gospel coalition-y kinds of people who are just like, friendship is the thing, and these books get friendship. And it's like, if that's the only depth that you're going to bring to your thinking about this is to find the one place where she's virtuous, and it happens to be a virtue that no one, even in the pagan world, would really argue with, then... Big deal. You know, big deal. I mean... Yeah, that's fair. So I'll give it to her in the sense that I do agree. She is good on it. She's good on courage, too. I don't know what, what there is to say about that. She's Harry shows courage. Uh, Neville, I think, is my favorite character yeah, for Neville's that. Yeah, Neville's the best. Well, Neville is just on that constant quest to prove that he belongs in Gryffindor. Right. And, and it's really takes, sweet. Yeah, it's really sweet. sweet. One of the sweetest moments in the book isn't Neville's courage, but Neville's tenderness, mm-hmm. where they're at St. Mungo's. Harry and Ron and Hermione run into him and he's there with his mom and his mom runs out. They're trying to peel themselves away from Lockhart and his mom runs out and hands him a gum wrapper or something like that while grandma's trying to pull him away. 
And instead of throwing it away, he folds it up and puts it in his pocket. Right. It's really sweet. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Poor Neville. Yeah. Yeah, but Neville, Neville gets to kill a Horcrux. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, he should have married Luna, though. He should have married Luna. He couldn't, he couldn't handle Luna. Well... He, we're just establishing he's got a heart of gold and he's awesome. I think he could handle Luna better than Joe Schmo, whoever she does marry. The son, of the grandson Soon of grandson of uh, oh Johnny Scamander, N- yeah. Newt Scamander, the Fantastic Beast author himself. Yeah, Mister Eddie Redmayne, mm-hmm. the manliest of actors. Hmm. Jude Law. Jude Law. Best Dumbledore of all time. Can already tell it just from the trailers. I I take trailer Jude Law over all Dumbledores. I really actually do like the second Dumbledore quite a bit. We'll talk about this more in our movies versus books episode. But yeah. I think Michael Gambone does a good job of trying to give us a Dumbledore better than the books. Well, to give a short preview of what I think my argument for the movies will be is that a lot of places where I think Rowling leaves things kind of up in the air and doesn't quite define character very well, the movie actors are just forced using their amazing British acting talents to make choices. And those choices, whether right or wrong, often... They make, bring definition. Bring definition in a way that, that I like. Rowling then adopts. Yes. Yeah, famously with Snape. Mm-hmm. I think with even with somebody like McGonagall. Yes, that's true. McGonagall's another great mother character. She's great at mothers. Mrs. Weasley, McGonagall. I mean, she's great. At, she's great at evil mothers. Umbridge, Lestrange. Oh, Lestrange is Lestrange. She's is just, just a witch. Lestrange is your fairy tale villain, just like. Yeah. She's the wicked witch of she's the West. She's just wicked. Yeah. Yeah. So by the way, if, if you want to take a point away from the movies, I'd say let's not cast. Helena Bonham Carter for that part in everything. Just, I mean, she have a little imagination. There's probably somebody else that could play that part. Um, she's pretty good at it, though. No, she's very good at it. There's a reason she gets cast for it every time. But I just think, you know, let's give some other Pastor Prime British witch a chance. I don't know. I don't know. What else is there to say about the morality of these books? I, I guess what I will say about the morality of these books, and maybe this is the only other thing that needs to be said, I don't know. I think it's a deal breaker for me. Basically... I really enjoy these books. I think that they're fu- a fun read. But if you ha- if you put a gun to my head, and I think they might last culturally for a long time because they just probably will. They've got that certain je ne sais quoi, and people really like them, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with people reading these books. I think she drops the ball morally in such a way, especially with, well, with Dumbledore, with Snape, and with Harry's final, sacri- final non-sacrifice in such a way that for me the books essentially lose that last bit of resonance that would push them into being great books. Mm-hmm. I would say these books it's are... It's a true classic. Too. Yeah, this is not a true classic. Even And I could get past the, the bad prose and a lot of things and just say this is a classic if it really was a story that was just great and worth telling. But at the end of the day, it's not, actually. It drops the ball, and it's too important of a drop to forgive. I mean, it's just like yeah. What's what's interesting now that all the pe- like the books and the pieces are out there is that it's almost one of those stories that you wish, hey, this mythology is great. Mm-hmm. Let's just retcon the whole story and have somebody rewrite it. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like the prequel trilogy. In that's that what sense. yeah. I was thinking about Star Wars. Like you know, Star Wars is a story that's being told. Mm-hmm. And the mythology is really cool and the things around it and some of the central ideas, obviously they've resonated. After it's all said and done, somebody who's actually smart right. should go back and take this wonderful world that they made and even the story beats mm. and just tell it in an actual good way. 
I was listening to, listening to a podcast recently where someone was saying the best James Bond movie is always the next James Bond movie. When you're watching a James Bond movie, you're always thinking, well, this wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. But you love the you love James Bond movies. And so the next one's always going to be the best. And I think it's a similar sort of thing here where it's like it's such a great universe. And it is basically a great story and it's great characters. But then she just fumbles in enough key places that. It's fun. I love spending time. I love spending time at Hogwarts. I love mm-hmm. spending time with the characters. But it's almost like I'd rather zoom in and spend a chapter in Diagonal Alley drinking my butterbeer. Like, it's why I don't even personally mind some of the longer, more, you know, tomes that came out in the later half of the series. Cause it's like, I like spending time in the universe. The particular story, big picture that she's telling, kind of lame, but. Mm-hmm doesn't really go a place that I like or that I think is good or healthy or consistent with the way God made the world. So, And that's not a failure with her world. That's a failure with her. Yeah. yeah. And that's where old beat, I know my soapbox here, but that's where the author really does matter. Mm-hmm. Where Tolkien was able to give us a world where it felt like it mattered that Frodo was going to die. Yeah. And he was saved by the eagles, sure, but he was going to die. And mm-hmm. it feels different than the fact that Harry was going to die and did die. Mm-hmm. And the difference is in their moral understanding. Yeah. And um, You could argue that Frodo should have died. But one thing that is true is that at least Tolkien had the sense to if he was going to let Frodo live, mm-hmm. yeah, he's changed. Yeah, that's what, I mean, Joseph and, Campbell and in his Hero's Journey thing, thing says you either the, I think yeah. he he I don't know whether he says either or but definitely the the end of the journey is the hero has saved his village but <clears throat> he's given up his ability to ever live there and yeah. that's that's yeah. a beautiful thing about Frodo, Frodo. yeah I, I think it would have been out of character for Frodo to die right I think that he was going to be saved but he made the ultimate but, sac- sacrifice Frodo sacrificed the entire Shire yeah. and his whole way of life and his you know, Frodo because, gave everything. Yeah, that's yep. and that's the reason. Frodo I did think die. you had to have that scene where he leaves mm-hmm. and goes yes. to the Grey Havens. That's right. Well, but Harry, instead, Harry doesn't change. Yeah, Harry's always been Harry, and right. Harry just sort of reintegrates into society. Yeah, and that's why the ending is really disappointing to these books. That whole yeah. epilogue. I mean, oh man, the epilogue retroactively. I mean, it is one of the worst things. Even more bad in the movies where it's all those kids in like old middle age makeup and stuff. But but that's why you send the car- That's why you send the hero off. You send them off to either go find a plowshare like right. Odysseus, or you send them off to find or to the Grey Havens like Harry. You can't have the hero stay and try to imagine what their life's going to be like. That's where what's his face went so wrong with Star Wars. Right. When it just lacks it's, any moral weight, like doing good, fighting evil takes sacrifice i mean i know this is like the most corny obvious christian thing to say but there has blood has to be spilt somebody has to die somebody has to give everything and it doesn't have to be that harry has to die but he has to he has to give up you know harry isn't ultimately asked to make any sacrifice Mm -hmm. i mean if you even killed ron or hermione say that might feel maybe the books would be classics in my mind then because at least something happened that was irrevocably a sacrifice for me as a reader to have yeah. to read about. Or in the cliched version, you kill Ginny. So sure. he has nothing to come back for or whatever. Yeah. Right. That so. might not be quite good enough because Ginny's not, she if, just doesn't if carry that weight. Like better like, writer had made Ginny a better character. Right. That would help first of all. So. But yeah, you can do what she does, but Harry has to go away. Harry has to, you know, like what in that interview where she said, I think it's more interesting for Harry to have to rebuild. It's like, okay. That's but, interesting if Harry's rebuilding as somebody who's died. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and can't doesn't quite 
fit in. Like you can tell a follow-up story coming out of that. Yeah. Well, I, I okay. So I've made this argument before. I already know <laughs> all the nerds listening. You guys probably know what their argument is. There is a great sacrifice at this core of Harry Potter. It's Dumbledore. Boo. Why don't yeah? Why don't I feel like that's any that's any kind of an argument? What Dumbledore sacrifices himself? Yeah. Because of the twisted way he does it. Yeah. That certainly doesn't help. How it's perverted by lies and manipulation and then getting, like I said, Snape to kill him. <laughs> yeah. And fathers and mentors are supposed to die in these stories. It's not a sacrifice. I mean, it is a sacrifice, but it's the sacrifice that enables the hero to then make the ultimate sacrifice. J.K. Rowling just really needed to read her heroes of a thousand faces or whatever that I haven't read, actually. But I mean, there's just a way that these stories work. And I don't know. Why do so many people think it's like the greatest thing ever in spite of that? Are we just grumpy Christian well, it's haters? What Jake has said the world is still something that is exciting to be reading about, to be a part of. And the character- Were people surprised that Dumbledore died in that book? I think some people were, but I don't want to sound like a snob, so I'm not going to talk about that because I'll just be like, why would you be? I mean, the it seemed pretty obvious. From the beginning, it was obvious that yeah. Dumbledore had to die in that book. Like, it was the most, it was one of the most inevitable plot elements in any of her books. Like, obvious. Well, and the second duh. you know about Horcruxes, you know Harry has to die. And then she wimp, right. wimps out, right? basically, and gives us a weird metaphysical scene with Dumbledore explaining more stuff. It's just like... At King's Crossing. Yeah. Super lame. Yep. She could have had the world built with in, in, in uh, Harry's memory, not even be touched. Mm-hmm. He given us an epilogue where Ron and Hermione have to... She could have still had her cheese. Their kid could have been named Harry. Yeah. You've got Ron and Hermione. You've got them together. To me, that's enough of a happy ending that let them be standing at Harry's grave. Let Harry be twinkling down from the star. You know, you can be as corny and magical and they can like feel the voice of Harry. You can you can tell the whole audience, it's okay. Harry's out there somewhere in the stars watching over us, whatever. You, you I mean, probably should do something better than that. But you have know what some, I mean? Have some centaur walk up and say something about... Yeah. There's a new star in the sky tonight. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You could find a way to make us... Nobody has to be sad at the end of this story. We can all be happy. Ronan, have Ronan come back. I mean, she's established that ghosts exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Harry could like be uh, snogging with Moaning Myrtle. That's yeah. definitely how the story should have ended. We're both in that tub together. <laughs> yeah. That's what Mo- Moaning Myrtle always wanted. There's the moral ending we should have had. <laughs> There's the moral ending we should have had. And I'll tell you, the ending that, to this podcast that we should have has come right now. We're going to burn through donor shout outs real fast. And then we'll be back next week with books versus movies, guys. Uh oh. Sounds like fun. Let's do it. Brandon, you're going to be the witness for the movies. Or sure. the, you're going to be the defense for the movies. Jake, you're going to be the defense of the books. Nathan right. will be our unbiased judge. I'll be your unbiased judge. So. So, Spear Danes and Days Gone By. A needle pulling thread. Mm. <laughs> Much fun. <laughs> All right. Brandon, you say the name of the person. And then Jake, you say how much you love the person. Okay. All right. Brandon, Professor X and Mrs. X. Professor X and Mrs. X. Lots and lots. Eric and Catherine, the lovebirds, and little baby X. Eric and Catherine, the lovebirds, and little baby X. Loads and loads. Benny T and Dana T. Benny T and Danity. Oodles and boodles. Mm. 
Uh, Jay and Katie, who are cold <laughs> no. and love cheese. <laughs> Jay and Katie, who are cold <laughs> and love cheese. I'm already Audi. Would you love them in a fox? I'd Would love you love them, them with it. a box? <laughs> I messed that up somehow. <laughs> Would you love them here or there? I'd love them anywhere. Okay, good. Uh, Maya! Maya! Did I already say lots? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Tons? Ooh. Tons. Tons. Uh, okay, tons. Uh, let's see. Um... Oh, uh, DJ Sammy G. DJ Sammy G. Bunches. By the way, what we're doing right now, if this is your first time listening, I don't know why you're coming in halfway through this Harry Potter series or, you know, on episode five of it, but we're doing donor shout outs. We shout out our donors. If you want to be shouted out, you can give us $10 a month or more at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the booking to get a wonderful shout out like this. If you want to pay us less than that, you won't get a shout out, but you'll still be supporting a wonderful podcast. Uh, So DJ Sammy G, did you say how much you loved him? Bunches. Bunches. What about my beloved mother, Beth? Nathan's beloved mother, Beth. Tons of bunches. And David's Mighty Men Transport. David's Mighty Men Transport. Bunches of tons. Bunches of tons. Whoa. Bunches of tons. Isn't that like a cereal or something? Uh, ooh, yeah. This is, a, this, boats. this is not a f- person that's- That's what David Mighty Men transports. Yeah. They do bunches of tons. They do. That's what they, that's what they of transport. Uh, this so is how much I love them. We have someone new to the donor shout out family, not new to the booking support family, but someone that recently bumped up their giving. So they need a name. What should their name be? We will call them- the Keith Master. <laughs> hey, Keith Master. To the moon. You love him to the moon? All right. Welcome to the donor shout out family, Keith Master. It's a good place to be. And uh, Mrs. Keith and all the little baby Keiths. Um, John and Jill the Lovebirds. John and Jill the Lovebirds. To the moon and back. Wow. Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds. Robert and, and Rhonda, the lovebirds. Brandon and Jeremy. And little babies, Brandon and Jeremy. Bigger than the whole wide world. Whoa. Whoa. He loves you bigger than the whole wide world, Brandon. Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds. Oh, that's what he, yeah, yeah, never mind. He doesn't love you that much. Uh, the inscrutable Jenny Z. The inscrutable Jenny Z. Bigger than the whole galaxy. Whoa, Jenny. Whoa. <laughs> Infinity bigger than whatever you say. Uh, <laughs> Hey, man, don't take these away oh, from sorry. me. <laughs> Andrew and Esther and little baby Timothy. Andrew and Esther and little baby Timothy. Bigger than the whole universe. Yeah. <laughs> Lily of the Valley. Lily of the Valley. Bigger than the whole universe times infinity. Whoa. Don't think you can get bigger than that. Jimmy Beam and little Annie Oakley. Jimmy Bean. Beam? Jimmy Beam? Know, sure. Beam. And little Annie Oakley. Infinity times infinity bigger than the universe. Very nice. Nathan, not me. Nathan, not Nathan. Infinity to the infinity power. Whoa. Whoa. Don't get any bigger than that. And the immortal Chelsea E. The immortal Chelsea E. 143 million bajillion Googleplex. Whoa. That's a lot. It's a lot. Not as big as infinity times double infinity or whatever, though. <laughs> to the infinity power now. To the infinity power. Man, you, don't, you don't get bigger than that. Nope. Sorry, feel very honored, He just doesn't like you as much as uh, Nathan, not me, or whoever the one that... Was Nathan, not me, the one with infinity power? The infinity yeah. stones? Yeah, I think so. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back next week for a little bit more Harry Potter. I don't know if next week will be our last one or not. We'll have to discuss that off mic. But we are not sacrificing anything. I know we've done a lot of Harry Potter episodes. You know what? I'm going to say this in the credits. 
welcome to the credits. I said I'd tell you what was going on, and now I'm going to do it. First, I'm going to say, my name is Nathan Alverson, and I produced this darn thing. Jacob Menzel, executive, produced it with myself. Brandon performed on it along with Jake and myself. Nathan Alverson. What was I going to say? Oh, we're not, in terms of scheduling, folks, we're not sacrificing anything. We are still doing all of the books. Yes, we're still doing Blood Meridian. I don't know why, but we'll talk about that. Um, We are going to do King Lear. That is our Shakespeare. I realize people probably don't know that, but um, if you're a donor person that pays 50 bucks or whatever it is, you've gotten your King Lear already, I think. If you're not, then you'll be getting your King Lear, and you'll get to read that part where the guy's like... They've got King Lear. They've got Frankenstein. Count those eyeballs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Out, out, jelly, and he... Gets the eye. That's about as bad as anything in Blood Marini. Eh, maybe not quite. Um, not even near. But it's, what's that? <laughs> not even close. Yeah, but it's kind of up there, maybe. I don't know. Same no. ballpark. No. Same sport. No. no. <laughs> not even the same sport. Wow. Same universe where sports are played. Maybe. It's unpleasant. Not a big fan of having my eyes ripped out, personally. Would you uh, be a bigger? F- Never mind. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, see you later, Brandon. Bye, Nathan. <laughs> uh, uh, thanks for letting me be on your podcast. You're you're welcome, Brandon. You can come back next time too. Oh, thank you, Nathan. I hope I have enough things to live for and until then. Brandon, you have lots to. You've got a family, uh, wife, kids, lots of good. I know, but I just wish I could spend all my time with my cool friend Nathan. Yeah, well, you can't. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, you should be. Um, bye, Jake. Bye, Nathan. Uh, yeah, see ya. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye, Nathan. Just Brandon, I said shut up. <laughs>